Thank you so much, Heather. And thank you so much to Pastor Joe and to our Christmas choir. That was wonderful. And we know you put a lot of work into that and we're very thankful. I am joined here today by some members of our short-term mission trip that we took um, end of October, beginning of November to El Salvador. And we're here today to just share with you some of what we've learned. Our world is big, but our God is bigger. Uh, and he's doing things not only here, uh, but everywhere. Uh, and we learned so much by seeing the way that he's working in El Salvador. So I'm here with Sam Williamson and Sue Dodds and Lorette Nwanuma and Kevin Steves. And we're going to be sharing a little bit. Um, and so we're kind of going to take you on an overview of our whole time. We're going to start with Kevin, who's going to share with us a little bit about our first week there, which we spent serving with an organization called Enlace. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my experiences here today. Each one of us that's gonna speak is gonna bring a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit of a different lens as to how we saw, how we experienced, and how we felt. As part of my daily routine every morning, <clears throat> I wake up, I turn to my phone. I know it's a terrible, terrible thing to do, but the reason I do it is I'm going to look at the Bible app. I look to see what that first Bible verse of the day is and how it can impact me for the day. And on that morning that we left, it became abundantly clear, even more clear than it already was, that God wanted me in that place at that time. And the Bible verse that day were the verses that I used the day I was baptized. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Thinking to the trip, I was committed to letting go of all control putting it all in God's hands. To say my faith grew through the experience would be a vast understatement. I was challenged in ways that I was not prepared for, in ways that I could not manage on my own. And I did, in fact, lay it all at God's feet. And I'm going to touch a little bit more on that in a bit. Immediately, we were presented with financial poverty that no course or no training could ever have prepared us for. It was not until the second day that I noticed the smiles, the caring, the love, the encouragement, sorry, encouragement, and the lack of complaining. Financial poverty does not equal unhappiness. On our first day traveling to the first community that we were going to be in, we traveled by van to the bottom of a mountain, at which point we switched over to pickup trucks and to an amazing land cruiser that I laid claim to. <laughs> might have been on top of it at occasion, might have been with Sandy on one, but that's a story for another day. On the first trip up the mountain, I was very fortunate to be presented with an opportunity that one of the national, I guess the national bird of El Salvador, Torregos, flew in front of the vehicle. The person that was driving that day was Pastor Ray, if I'm not mistaken. And he commented that it was a very rare experience to see the national bird and how fortunate I was, how lucky I was, was his words. Over the course of the next three days, I would have seen that bird, or one of those birds, ten times. It was not luck. It was God showing me something and telling me to keep my eyes open. When we got to the top of the mountain, we were received we were welcomed, we were embraced by a community. 
God's kingdom was so evident in all of their actions and their interactions. We found out very quickly there was no I, there's no me. There was only we and us, true community, and that God was always put first. Everything was laid at his feet. We were both broken into two groups, and our groups would do either latrine visits or home visits, depending on the time of the day, availability of resources. And it's funny how we talked about it being a latrine project or a creation care project, when in reality the people that we were working beside were far less concerned with the actual uh, progress of the project, but more interested in the building of fellowship, building of relationships, times of sharing, and of encouragement. I was very much challenged on the first home visit that I did. Sandy can attest to that. I struggled quite, quite badly with it. I was in a state of not being able to understand, not comprehend, and I was just challenged in ways that I was not prepared for. I didn't have the tools to process what I had experienced. That night I was up most of the night, spent most of the night in prayer, put it at God's feet, prayed for guidance and for understanding. That was not the first time that God would challenge me on the trip, take me out of my comfort zone, and for that, I am very, very thankful and blessed. I'd like to talk about a few things, a few stories, just to kind of tie things together to give you a sense of true community. The first instance would have been that one of our team members succumbed to heat stroke. It might have been me. <laughs> and had to remove myself or felt that I need to remove myself from the situation. So I did. And I ran, which is not pretty. Made my way through, made it past our vehicle where I passed out and fell on the ground. This is what I woke up to. Sandy standing over me, foot on my chest. If you would. Oh, a little context. I was provoked. <laughs> yeah. yes, our, our dear friend isn't very maybe good at taking some rest, and so I told him he could come back to work when he could beat me in a fight. I did not get up at that point. <laughs> and then you'll see Peggy also reinforcing that I should take more breaks, that I should drink more, and maybe listen, <laughs> to which I did. But in all of that, people came to my aid, people surrounded, people engaged, people cared. Second story, while moving bricks to build latrines, I grabbed a couple of bricks. Before I could turn, a tiny little six-year-old, Natalie, plowed into me for all she was worth. Now, obviously, she didn't move me, but I took a couple big steps backwards because I didn't want her to fall over and get hurt, and she was screaming and yelling and continued to push me. She was passionate, and then the men in the community, the men in that area started running towards me. Unbeknownst to me, when I lifted the bricks, there was a coral snake. Very, very venomous. They told me I would be okay, though, that had it bit me, I probably would have made it to the hospital before I died. So that's wonderful. But again, a six-year-old, not fearful for her own safety, no I, no me, was more concerned with the safety of someone she did not even know. Samuel, the mason that I had the opportunity to work with, or that my group had the opportunity to work with, he was, he was passionate about sharing his craft, teaching, engaging, learning, 
asking questions through gestures, broken English, broken Spanish for me, and the help of Google Translate. He was incredible. He was so caring in everything he did, and he was doing it for his community. That's him on the right. Diego, the pastor's grandson, while in the church, we used it as kind of a home base. While eating, he would sing for us, he would play instruments for us, he would run around, he would play hide and seek in this one room that's 30 by 40 with a table in the middle. He always hid under the table. Sandy always hid in the corner like this. <laughs> he could see you. <laughs> the pastor, at the, at the end of the week, we had a closing ceremony and the pastor for that community spoke so highly of a young gentleman named Nestor. And he was a community liaison within Lasse and just spoke to how wonderful he was and lifted him up in words of encouragement and how the community was benefiting. Are we seeing a pattern here? I also was very fortunate to be able to speak at that closing. It was quite an honor. Now the next part of the story is you'll have to show me a little grace because there has to be some context to this picture. So this is my favorite, favorite picture from the time away. So what on the outside looks like Kevin playing around with a little girl. It's wonderful. Context to this is that I've been estranged from my own daughter since she was a little girl. I didn't get to have those experiences. So I did get to share some time with her and her aunt, aunt was only eight, eight. It was incredible. My heart was broken to pieces and put back together all at the same time. It's amazing how God works. The reason I chose those stories to show a theme, a theme of community, of love, caring and kindness. The people there are rich in so many ways and I pray that we choose to work towards those richnesses. We have so much to learn. To you, our church, for your generosity, for your caring, your prayers, and your letters of encouragement, I say thank you. On the letters of encouragement, there was one letter in particular that God chose to speak directly to me again. Lorette started to read this letter. We didn't know who it was. When she started the second sentence of it, I was no longer hearing Lorette's voice. I was hearing the voice of the person who had written it. We didn't know who it was at this point. I was hearing his voice. When I needed encouragement most, God chose that that letter would be chosen that evening, and I heard the voice of that person. The person who wrote that letter was Keegan. His words given to him by God were by pure design in that moment. And finally, I promise, I'm gonna wrap it up now, to each and every one of the people that joined me on the trip. Some of us didn't know each other beforehand. We met 
we learned about each other, we built friendships, we experienced community, we strengthened our relationships. And to all of you up here, down there, I call you my family. And you hold a very special place in my heart. And I truly love you all. God is good. Thanks so much, Kevin. Some of you will remember that we had gone to partner with Enlace and they were going to have us building latrines, uh, but really God was building something much more important. Um, and then my friend Sam, over the weekend, we went back to San Salvador. We were meant to have some rest, but then instead something even better happened. So can you tell us a little bit about the work we got to do with Ebenezer Church? Yeah, so I'll have to talk fast because Kevin took a long time preaching. But, <laughs> um, so we had the opportunity on short notice to partner with the church in the city of San Salvador. Uh, when we were in Lasse that Kevin just talked about, we were in the region of Sansone, so we moved back into the city area. We had the opportunity to partner with the church, and Byron, our, our partner down there, he led us there. And then uh, that was... Uh, quite interesting. Um, we got to start with a bit of an overview of the church's history. And so they talked about how uh, a few years back before the new government had come in, there is their ministry mostly focused on gang members, gang members, which played a huge part in El Salvador's history. And so when the new government came in, they were no longer able to uh, help them because they had been taken away with 70,000 other people. Um, then we had the opportunity, after we learned about the history a little bit, to go down and go to play with the kids because that was what their new ministry was looking like. And so we got the opportunity to play games with the kids, do Bible stories, uh, dance with the kids. It was really quite amazing. I think they enjoyed being with us quite a bit. Um, and then we did a youth rally with the teenagers, and we had the opportunity for, uh, to pray with them and uh, to speak with them. And then the next morning, we got to go to the same church, and we did the service with them. We did the Sunday school with them. And uh, then at the very end of, the, of that time, we had the opportunity to pray with the pastor's wife. Thanks, Sam. I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about our experience with the youth program, and especially what it was like to be able to pray with each of the youth individually. Um, so... We had the opportunity, to, as I had said, to uh, minister to the youth and be able to take part in uh, praying with them. And so we, uh, when we prayed with them, I think the majority of us were a little bit hesitant at first and maybe maybe a little bit shocked. I, I began to realize that Byron was pulling us aside a little bit. And so we had the opportunity to go and pray over each of the youth. And that was really quite amazing to do and I think it really touched me and uh, I hope that we touched the youth there as well. Uh, something that stood out to me was just how the message had touched them so much and then for them to allow strangers to come and pray over them was really amazing. And then uh, after all of that was done I had the opportunity, one more, one more youth came to me and asked me to come and pray with one of his friends who had been going through something really hard and I felt really blessed that uh, he had asked me to and came to me. So that was just a really amazing experience that God's spirit had moved us to. 
Thank you. I wonder, too, if you could share with us a little bit about some of the challenges of the language difference. Okay, so um, we had, as you know, um, Spanish is what the language in El Salvador is. I didn't find it terribly hard because we usually had translators or we had Google Translate on us. Um, and something that was really interesting in it was that uh, when we, at the very first church we were at, we got to listen to them speak. And, and we heard sermons, we heard songs. But something that stood out to me at the first church was when they prayed, I could, you can, the beauty of a prayer is not from the words that are spoken, but from the way that the spirit moves, because prayer is communication with God. And so it doesn't matter what language you speak, the communication is the same. You need, I would say that you probably would benefit more from a sermon if you spoke the same language, but prayer is the communication with God. So that was just a really incredible experience that I can say, but it's, you have to experience it to know it. Thank you so much. I wonder if you would also speak a little bit to some of the encouragement we received from our church while we were away. Yeah, so I, I really want to thank you all um, for all of the prayers leading up to this, all of the finances, the prayers during the trip and the prayers even after the trip. And all of, those, all of you people who uh, prayed for us and wrote encouragement letters, that was a true, the biggest blessing that you could have given us. And I, Kevin spoke on it a little bit, but I'll say it again. Like we, When those letters were read to us, it felt as if the people who had wrote them were standing right with us. And they were there in off the door with us. And the prayers that you gave us were empowering and led us through our ministries and everything. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. Our friend Sue Dodds has so many gifts. One of them is the ability to speak Spanish, and so she stood in the gap for us very often with some of our language differences. Uh, but she also has a gift for seeing people who need to be seen. And because of who God has made her to be, she had a really unique experience. And would you share with us a little bit about it? I think that I was struck very quickly in El Salvador about how the women represent God's kingdom on earth. And so often women are the quiet and the unseen, I think even in our church here. Um, so immediately upon arrival, we met our 22-year-old translator, who was female, from Enlace. From there, we met youth leaders in Las Mañanitas, who were young women. Um, we met people in, women in Semillas who worked in creation care, river cleanup, and um, who tried very much to see the needs around them. Um, one of the things that really struck me was that everywhere we went, there were female church members and community leaders who responded to the needs around them. Um, their ministry extended beyond the church, and we were told several times that the kingdom of God does not just exist within the church walls, but extends to everyone. And these women were just reminders to us all of how God has used women throughout history to carry out his work. And so I'd like to just introduce you to a couple of the women. There were two pastor's wives that we met, Zelmi, the pastor's wife of the first church in Las Mañitas, Mañanitas, very quiet, unassuming. She made our meals and she was very, very quiet. Uh, then we met Nora, who, was the pastor's, who is the pastor's wife at the church that Sam mentioned, who um, ministered to the children. 
and both of them very quiet, unassuming women who worked away um, just helping the people that they saw needed help. Also, um, in Samias, in San Salvador, we met a woman by the name of Gladys, who works in education with women, and she teaches women how to protect themselves against violence, and also teaches them on mental health issues. Other women we met at Samias work with youth in education, completion, farming, sewing, teaching women skills to help improve their economic situation. Then when we traveled to um, Usultan, the last church, um, there were women who traveled on the back of a truck to come and share with us um, their work. They left after lunch, actually, because it was cheaper to travel back at that time of day. So that it really was a sacrifice for them to come. So they were instrumental in helping to start the river cleanup. And um, so they started with their village cleaning up along the river. And when other women in other villages saw what they had done, it kind of spread. So the different villages had women cleaning uh, along the river. So their motivation is the care of God's creation, but also care of their fellow human beings. And again, they emphasized that God's work must extend beyond the church walls and benefit both Christians and non-Christians alike. So they were, an, they were a fun group as we headed to the river cleanup. We had been talking about how women had changed their part of the world. And they started chanting, Las Mujeres, Las Mujeres, which basically is women rule, women rule. <laughs> so they were, they were a fun group. Then we met Susana, who my name is Spanish and is Susana, so we connected very quickly. And she is in charge of creation care, helps the women set up chicken farms and other small businesses and is also the director of the women's cleanup. Um, guess that we met also Doris, who was Jesus's wife. He is the man who um, began um, tree planting and um, ditch building to redirect water back to the river. And she joked that when he dies, there'll be a statue in the village square of him. And she said, I better be beside him. So I think that said it all, that she was quietly supporting him. So I just think that we just noticed everyday female workers, um, church members who gave gifts to the pastor, food wrapped in cloth and taken to the front of the church because he doesn't receive a salary. Uh, they're looking after their grandchildren, walking an hour to church to be involved in teaching and just responding to the needs of others. So I think that in all of this, that I think that they looked after us too when they saw a need. They they met the needs for us. They made tea, you know, when I had a cough. They gave us water when we needed it. They were just always looking at the needs around us and how they could meet them. So I think that I would just like to say that one of the things that I learned that despite difficult and very real problems themselves, they let God use them to demonstrate his love to others. And sometimes when we go through difficult times, we can just back away from ministry and kind of just lick our wounds. But they, in the midst of pain and difficulties, were able to still do ministry. So I just want to thank the church for giving us this opportunity to go into supporting us. Thank you, Sue. 
So our first week was spent with Enlace, and then we partnered with the Ebenezer Church, and then we partnered with a group called Semias. And I wonder, Lorette, would you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so Semias, they are a not-for-profit organization um, that are really involved in community development. And they're involved in a number of initiatives, so ranging from violence prevention to um, dealing with the food crisis, dealing with water crisis, and different things like that. One of the things that really struck me um, was that some of the ways that they did poverty alleviation in their community was fairly similar or had some um, elements that reminded me of how River Cross Hope Mission um, connects to uh, our community here, especially in the, um, in the North End area. Because part of their, their, their ministry is kind of getting hold of that integral mission that the way that we live our lives out loud as um, followers of Jesus is ought to follow um, commitments to the word of God, but also commitment to serving in our community. And like Sue said, that our neighbors are not just folks in the four walls, but they extend outside of that. And um, there are people who need help, right, in our community. And so Semias did that really well, and that was really exciting. In terms of um, water crisis and some of the food insecurities, there were a number of things they were doing to deal with that. With the water crisis, um, according to the United Nations, if El Salvador, if they do nothing different, uh, they will run out of water in about 80 years. So this is, this is really serious issues as a result of the deforestation, um, the pollution, and just different things that are kind of destroying and decreasing their water levels. And so we got to learn a little, little bit about that to have context. And then we got to serve um, around uh, like the river cleanups and also um, tree planting. That's it. Now, with the tree planting, I got I to gotta share this because this is now kind of what we were expecting. The tree planting piece of our service was supposed to be less effortful in comparison to building ridges, which, as you can imagine, that would require a bit more work um, to build that. But with the tree planting, it was a little bit different from kind of uh, urban tree planting. You're using a little, uh, quite some traditional tools to do this. And you're digging about two feet deep and two feet wide to be able to plant these crops um, in order to help prevent erosion and uh, kind of the soil erosion that was happening in this community. And so you get your shovel and your hole and you kind of, you dig in and you're kind of pulling things out. This was when I was really excited to have this gentleman here on our team. <laughs> Because we worked really hard, and we as a team of 10 and some of our community members planted all of 11 trees. Can you believe that? And let me tell you, we put our backs to it. That was a lot of hard work that went into planting those 11 trees. In comparison to the 20,000 that some of the, uh, that this community have planted over um, a certain period of time. But it was a lot of work. This wasn't, like, again two feet, two to three feet deep and two to three feet wide and you're using shovels and hoe to dig this thing, the, 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 yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. So that was impressive. And then um, in, when we look at the uh, food insecurity, some of the things that they've been doing uh, is teaching families uh, how to plant more crops for themselves and also how to scale that in order to um, be able to make an income from, uh, from these crops. And so that was some of the ways that they were dealing with the food insecurities. And that was really, really interesting and neat to see. In one of the sessions that they were kind of teaching us what they were doing, and so they're, they've started not just planting corn um, or 
coffee, but they're also planting a variety of different crops, right? So plantains, tomatoes, and, and all of these things that kind of helps produce a rich harvest. And so I have a question for them because I was curious, like when do you, when do you have the most harvest? Is it during the rainy season or during the dry season? I was thinking that it would be during the rainy season. And some of you folks that are farmers um, or gardeners, maybe you already know the answer to this, but I'm a city gal, so I didn't really know the answer to this question. And one of the, one of the responses was that um, it's actually during the dry season that they produce the most crop, because during the dry season, you can kind of, um, you know, the land's not as wet, and you can determine how much water you want to have. And, you know, different crops have different needs and different, uh, in terms of water supply. And while I was kind of thinking about this, one of the things that the Lord kind of brought to mind was, isn't that what it looks like in our own personal lives, in our spiritual lives? That it's usually during the dry season, the seasons that we run away from, the seasons that look like um, he's far away, where grief and loss threaten to hide him from us. And it's in those seasons that we get to, that we produce the most fruit and the most beautiful fruit. And so while I was kind of like engaging with the Lord's heart in that, it, was, it just was really beautiful uh, to have that moment with him that the dry seasons in our lives matter as well. And even in the crops and in creation and how he's created the world, those seasons matter too. And so um, that was one of, the, one of the things that kind of stood out to me. Thank you so much, Lorette. We worked quite closely with Byron Velasquez, one of the CBM field staff, while we were in El Salvador, and he has shared a message with us, too, about how the kingdom of God works, and I think it's really quite beautiful, so we're going to listen to Byron. Hi, my name is uh, Byron Velasquez. I am uh, a national field staff for uh, CBM. Uh, basically, I'm the interior mission coordinator in Central America, so... Basically, I work with, closely with our partners here in Central America, and uh, we are so happy because uh, the last month we had the privilege to have uh, a team from your church working, serving, learning, and listening here in Central America. Thinking about the Kingdom of God, uh, I like to see how the Kingdom of God works because uh, the Kingdom of God is uh, everything. When you get together, when we learn from each other. The kingdom of God is when we see God working in our communities. And I think what we experience with the, with the team is exactly that. We saw God in many ways, with the kids, with the community leaders, with the local church. It was a privilege to see together as a team from your church, from our local leaders in Central America, how the kingdom of God is growing, how the kingdom of God is present in our context. And we pray that the kingdom of God also will continue growing and showing, not just in Central America, but also in Canada. As I told the team the last day, we are servants of the kingdom of God, and we work for the kingdom of God. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of the kingdom of God. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Bye-bye. A theme that I remember over and over is that when we look at the whole picture and the full scope 
of the problems in our world. It's very overwhelming. And when we think about how God's kingdom is going to come into that context, it's very overwhelming. But if we read the parables of Jesus, then we read that the kingdom comes in small ways. It's seed and it's yeast, these little things that have a big impact. And the kingdom of God still works that way. It's learning together and serving together and listening well and loving well, finding those little moments in the dry season where God is looking to produce fruit. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would learn that again and relearn that again, that the kingdom of God is coming in those small everyday acts of love. Would you pray with me this morning as we pray for God's kingdom to come here?